I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all the peoples of nations of men and every tribe and tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And isn't it interesting that although those words were penned by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, they sound like they would come from Revelation, which is why we are doing these two books together in this study that we're calling Already Finished But Not Yet Done because we're talking about how we live in this tension between the already finished of Christ's first coming and going to the cross and the not yet done but will be done in His second coming when He completes the restoration of all things in Revelation. We believe it or not, we are actually in the sixth week of this study that is going to take us through Lord willing, into the holiday season. I would ask you to invite people in to this journey that we're on. Um, the, the world is in desperate need of hearing God's Word. So we all know people that are in, they're maybe, they're, they either don't attend church at all or they're in churches that do not use the Word of God. I would encourage you to invite them to come and hear what God has to say because the world is saying that it's out of control. And when we look and turn on the news, which I don't, we think it's out of control. And yet what we're going to see even today in Daniel chapter 2 is that God is in complete control. And that's the message today we're going to look at is through Christ, we're going to look at this message that I've entitled, not me, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 2, I want to tell you a little bit about what was going on in the world there in Daniel in the time of Daniel, Daniel lived between 600 B.C. is when he was taken captive, around there. These, these dates are approximate. And then the, the book actually ends about 80 years later, in around 520 B.C. And at this time, what had happened is, 100 years before Daniel lived, around 600 B.C., Hezekiah was king of Israel. And there was the world superpower at the time was Assyria, which is north of what is now modern-day Iraq. It's where Nineveh was, Jonah went those people. And they had come and already conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel. And they were working their way down to the southern tribe, which is where Daniel and his friends were. It's where Jeremiah was. But Hezekiah goes and invites these Babylonians into their, they were sort of an up-and-coming kingdom, so he invites them in to the, to the sanctuary of God to show them all of this wonderful stuff, because he's hoping that they'll defend him against the Assyrians. So God is upset with him because he's like, you know what, you're putting your trust in the wrong place. You're trusting in Babylon and in Egypt because you're afraid of these Assyrians instead of trusting in me. And so I'm going to show you what that looks like. And someday your own descendants are going to be taken away. And they're going to be in the courts of Babylon. And a hundred years later, it comes true. And Daniel and his friends are taken away in what's called the first deportation. It was 605 B.C. All of this is historical documentation that you don't need to go into the Bible to read, by the way. There's all kinds of extra-biblical information about the truth that Nebuchadnezzar was truly a king. Here are the dates he ruled. Here's when he brought the, the Jewish people back to Babylon. All of this can be affirmed in many ways. But 
the point is, God's people had become lukewarm to God. And God was saying, if you want to live like the world, I'm going to take you there. So Daniel is written to God's people in exile, just like Revelation is written to the church today for the same reason, and it's to wake us up. It's to get us to wake up from this lukewarm, half-hearted version of Christianity, or in their case, Judaism. So here's the question I want to ask today out of Daniel chapter 2. On whose wisdom do you rely? Really? Like, really, on whose wisdom do you rely? We know what the answer is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be God's wisdom. If you're sitting in church, you're going, okay, I know it's supposed to be God's wisdom. But we also look around and go, man, I, I, there's a whole lot of other people telling me how to live, what to do, where to go. So the first thing I want to do is I want to define what I mean by wisdom. I want to define what I mean by wisdom. Wisdom is knowing God's word and how to live it out. Wisdom is knowing God's word, but not just knowing it, knowing how to live it out. Ultimately, in a, in a sentence, it would be being in God's will. That's wisdom. But you can't know God's will unless you're in the word of God and you're walking it out. Then you're in God's will. Once again, Daniel and his friends are going to show us what it looks like to live in godly wisdom and not in self-wisdom or worldly wisdom, which is where we tend to hang out too much as we answer the question, on whose wisdom do we rely really? So we know what the answer is supposed to be. So what does that look like? Well, Daniel 2 is going to show us, so hopefully you've opened up your Bible to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to see that if we have the right answer, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to seek God's presence. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So God is getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And we see this throughout chapter 1, 2, 3, and even into chapter 4. This, this, the most powerful man at the time in the world, God is giving him these dreams to wake him up. It says, then the king gave orders to all the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So, they came, so all the wise men, of whom, by the way, Daniel and his three th friends are counted. It says, so they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Oh, king, live forever. Tell the, tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. Sounds like a fair request. Tell us what you dreamed. We'll tell you what it means. The king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. So he's not saying, I'm going to wipe you and your whole family out. Nebuchadnezzar has some anger management issues, and we're going to see that actually in the coming weeks as well. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Do you see what he's asking them? He's not just saying, tell me what the dream means. He's telling, me, he's telling them, tell me what I dreamed before I tell you what the dream was. That's a big ask. So these guys are freaking out. And so what happens in the, in the, in the verses that follow is, is they start asking him one, well, no, 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 tell us the dream and we'll tell you. And he's like, no, it doesn't work that way, gentlemen. I know you guys. I want to know both. Tell me what I dream. Tell me what it means. Then they say, okay, so give us some time. Well, in the meantime, Daniel and his friends are trying to figure out how to get past this. Look at verse 11. It says, moreover, the king and the, the, 
the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except the gods. This is still the magi, who are what these wise people are, are speaking to him, who's dwelling. Now, now look at this. There's, the only person who can tell you this, Nebuchadnezzar, are the gods, small g, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Now Daniel and his friends aren't in the room yet because they would understand that that's not fully true. How unlike our God is their gods. When they say here, look at, he says, only the gods can tell you this and their dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Except that our God became flesh incarnate and made his dwelling among us is what John 1.14 tells us. Our God sent his spirit to live with us. And if we walk by the spirit and not by the deeds of the flesh, we are bringing honor to him because we are in his will. Our God is not like their gods. And Daniel and his friends know that. But in verse 13, it says that they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them too. It doesn't matter that they were different. They were still going to get lumped in with the rest of them. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. I, that, that verse convicts the snot out of me. Why? Because Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. Does that describe you when you are being falsely accused? When you are under attack and you don't think you deserve it? How about by the person you live with, your spouse? Do you respond with discretion and discernment? Does that describe me? Does that describe you? Does that describe the church? Because it does describe Jesus. It doesn't always mean he came up and gave everybody a hug. Discretion and discernment doesn't always mean peace, but it does mean wisdom. And so they're going to, they, what, what, ultimately what that is telling us is they are going to beg God for his presence because that's where they're going to find their, his discernment. Now look at the main point of this, of, the, of this point of seeking God's presence. In verse 17 it says, Then Daniel went to, the house, went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about the matter so that they might request compassion from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Do you see what he does? His restore, so get, get the scene, guys. Nebuchadnezzar's saying, somebody better tell me what I dreamed and what it means, or you're all dead. Daniel's response is, I'm going to run back to my house and get my friends because we need to pray. Are we okay with that? Like, am I, do I respond that way? I mean, do, do I, first of all, do I pray? Is my first response or my last resort prayer? Second, do I actually go to people and say, let's pray together? Am I okay with opening up my life enough to go, this is something I need prayer for. Will you please pray for me? Guys, there, there is massive power in that. And yet we tend to be so isolated because of what the enemy's doing in our lives, we're not really comfortable with that. Right, part of why we started, we rearranged our service a few months ago and we start with 30 minutes of just worship and prayer from 9.15 to 9.45 is because there, is, there was power in this room and for those of us that were here this morning, we felt his power show up 
as people are praying specific prayers for specific things that have nothing to do with them or have to do with them. Our problem is we tend to pray these, what I call floodlight prayers. Lord, help me to, like, like help me to know what your will is. Okay, when he tells us what his will is, how do we know? If our prayer is a floodlight and his answer is a laser beam, how do we know? We need to pray specific prayers. Daniel and his friends aren't going to show up and just pray, oh Lord, save us. They're going to pray, oh Lord, tell us what Nebuchadnezzar's dream means. Because if we don't know that, we're dead. But are we okay with praying? Are we, are we any good at? Because the question I, I love seeing asked here, and I see it being asked more and more all the time, is before church, after church, during, throughout the week, text messages, hey, how can I pray for you right now? Not just, hey, I'll pray for that, or not just, I'll pray for you, but how can I pray for you? Give me something specific to pray for. How can I pray for you? And oh, by the way, let's do it right now. That is supernaturally, literally supernaturally from the Lord, supernaturally changing our church's culture. That simple question, how can I pray for you right now? And if you're not asking that question or you're not sharing that, you are missing out on the supernatural power of God. We are in desperate need of this sense of community. Guys, we were, set, guys, we were created by God for relationship first and foremost with him, and then with each other, and we were saved into a community. We need, when, when you are in a desperate spot, don't hesitate to run to your friends. Run to, who, who, by the way, since you're in this, that's anybody in this room, we're friends. Run to them and ask them to pray for you. Like, I'm telling you, I've seen in personal experience just in the last week, the power of that. When you're in a tough spot, what do you do? Who do you go to? Right? Whose wisdom are you seeking and how? So the first thing is we need to seek God's presence. We must also proclaim his power. Look at verse 19. So they gather together, he and his four, he and his, the four of them gather together, they pray hard, earnest, fervent prayers, and they get an answer. Look at what happens in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And so, so, so God tells him, here's what the dream is. And then look at this sevenfold description of God. I, I love, this is a beautiful picture. He said in, in verse 20, he says, Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to God. There's the wisdom and powerful God. Look at the next one. It says, and he is the one who changes the time and the times and the epochs. There's another description. That's the second way he's described. Daniel then goes on to say, he is the one who removes kings and establishes kings. The fourth way he describes God in his prayer. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. Verse 22, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. That's the fifth way he describes God. He is the one who reveals the truth. The sixth way, he knows what is in the darkness. Guys, there's nothing in your future, there's nothing for you to be afraid of that he doesn't already know is there. And then he says, and the light dwells with him. And that's the seventh way he describes God. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me the wisdom. Even now you have made known to me 
what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. He gets it. Daniel gets it. He's like, God did this. God is the one we have to go to for wisdom because God is the one who will reveal it. But oh, by the way, God is the one who gives it. He doesn't just say, good luck with that, but he actually gives them the wisdom. Right? If, you, if you remember, um, Dan had us open up in prayer with this passage. In Matthew 7, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And, and I will give you the answer, is what Jesus says. But we give up so quickly. Ah, God didn't answer my prayer today, so I guess I'm done. Right? That, that's just not the way our God works. He is the wisdom of the wise, and, and he will give us wisdom. James chapter 1, James chapter 5, they all talk about that. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And he won't resent you asking, but he will give it to you in abundance. That's our God. Look at, let's keep going. We're going we're gonna to jump down to verse 26 in the interest of time. So Daniel goes back to, the, to, the, to Arioch, who's the commander, who's supposed to kill them all. And he says, not give me more time, which is what the other wise men were asking. He just says, to, he says just tell the king to give me a time. Like, like, make an appointment on his calendar, and I will show up and tell him what the dream means. So Daniel is so confident God is going to do this for him, he actually tells him to do it. He shows up. Now look at verse 26. The king says, it says here, the, the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. So now Daniel gets into the presence of the king, and he says, Are you able to make known to me the dream which, which I have seen and its interpretation? So Nebuchadnezzar is asking Daniel, are you smart enough? These other guys apparently can't do it. Can you do it? Now look at Daniel's response. Daniel answered the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Guys, do you hear what he's saying? He is, well, here's what I love about Daniel. He is not throwing his co-workers under the bus. They are unbelievers. They are God mockers. He has saved them once, and they're going to be the ones that want to throw his three friends into the fiery furnace. Right? And yet, he has this opportunity to go, you know what, those guys were fools because they don't know God. But I know God, so I'm smart. And instead, he says, you know what, no man can do what you've asked done. Don't blame them. But then look what he says. Verse 28, this is where the whole chapter swings. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision of, the mind on, of, of your mind on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what will take place in the future. And he, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. As for me, this mystery was not revealed to me on any wisdom residing in me. Look at, how, look at the humility of Daniel. He's saying, none of this has to do with me or any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand 
the thoughts of your mind. Guys, I, I love Daniel's humility here. I love that he's saying in the midst of this, in the midst of this tension that's going to cost him his life, he has a chance to elevate himself and all he wants to do is say, I want to elevate God. You know why? Because he knows there's nothing in him worth elevating. He knows not me, but Christ in me is the only hope of glory. I didn't do this, Nebuchadnezzar. God did. I want to invite Robert Reed to come up, and he's going to share an account that he shared with some of us as he did what I was talking about earlier, asking a group of men to pray specifically for something in his life and how God showed up. This is a great story about, about exactly what you saw happen in Daniel's life. Is he using this? I'd like to start, I'd like to start off with a prayer. Um, Father God, I absolutely praise you and I thank you. I thank you for love. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for the changing of hearts. And Father God, I praise you and I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Robert Reed, and um, I'm grateful and humbled to, to be up here to share a little experience. Uh, Pastor Doug says you get five minutes, five minutes to share an experience with Jesus. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, five minutes. So I get, well, 4.30. So um, I, I want to I be serious about something because what I'm about to share is something that I never, ever, ever thought that would change in my life. Um, my father, my biological father, is an unholy man. He is an unforgiving man. And as a child, um, I never felt safe. I never felt loved. He deserted me. He abandoned me. He hurt me. Um, everything that God expects out of a parent, a parent to be, my father was none of those things. So going throughout life, I'm 41 years old, over half of my life, even after my baptism, I chose to hold on to a sin. And that sin that I chose to hold on to was unforgiveness. Jesus died for my sins. I have been forgiven, and I would not forgive this man. And on top of not forgiving him, I held on to another sin. I've prayed for this church multiple times. I've prayed for people I met on the first day. I prayed for strangers. I prayed for people I will never get the opportunity to ever meet. But I would not pray for my father. The byproduct of unforgiveness is toxic. The feelings that came are hate, discontent, and it was no wonder I was not able to love the Lord my God with all my heart because I would rather hold on to sin, ask for forgiveness every day, and continue to be a Christian when my heart was just absolutely broken and black. So for two years, I prayed and I prayed. Pastor Doug was talking about being fervent, you know, keeping your eyes up, staying focused. For two years, I've prayed and prayed for change. All these years later, I'm at home one night. I'm prayed up. I reached out to my friends that Pastor Doug talked about, and I told them that I was going to do something I, I never thought I would do. 
And I've got the phone to my hand, and there's a ringing. And then on the other end of this line picks up, and there's a voice that says, Hello. <laughs> I don't recognize this voice. I don't recognize this person. We get to talking. This voice belongs to my father. I have not talked to this man in so many years because I chose to not accept God's grace. I chose not to forgive. And he brings up the past. It's been my experience, and the word tells me that there's only one person that brings up the past, and that's Satan. So I did something else I never thought I would do. I told my father, don't worry about it. The truth is, I says, I forgive you. I've got a past of my own. You know, I've walked a mile in my father's footsteps. So I understand a little bit about how his mind was. I understand what it's like not to have God. And I forgave him. And then I turned around and he started crying. This is a man that's only shown one emotion. This is a man who does not show the softer side, the side that God wants us to reveal. And I hear this man crying. And he gets back on the phone and he says, he goes, I thought you stopped loving me. And I told him, I says, I will never stop loving you. Jesus never stopped loving me. And I says, Dad, I'm your only son. I says, you have two grandkids. And I says, right now, let's just worry about focusing on what's going on here. And let's build a relationship off that. That is absolutely 100% all Jesus. The victory is his in this circumstance. My stepmom gets on the phone and I get to talking to her and I got to share my story. I got to share the things going on, the changes that, that God has, has put in me in my life. And my stepmom goes in the, the, the softest, most loving voice ever. She says, honey, she says, if it wasn't for Jesus and me being baptized, I would have left your father a long, long time ago. So today... I keep in touch with these people, and today, not only did the Lord restore what he, he has given me, but I find out that I have a whole, whole other family out there that I've never met yet. I've got all these people. The Lord restored, and the Lord gave me in abundance more than I ever thought. Just as he told Abraham and Sarah, I will give you more children than there are stars in the sky the promises of being faithful, the promises of hanging on to Jesus, and the promises of, of doing the right thing and staying focused is paid off. And today I'm able to love the Lord my God, just like I had a hard time loving, um, loving uh, thy neighbor. I, I struggled with that. But I have siblings that I may not agree with their lifestyle. I may not agree with what they do and say. That's irrelevant. What I do agree with and what Jesus has changed in my heart is I may not like what they're doing, but I love them. How is that different for any other stranger? I've met strangers that I'm closer to than I am closer to my family members. And I just want to let you guys know that um, none of this would be possible without Jesus, without forgiveness. And I'm just grateful and humbled to be able to share my story with you. Thank you. Hang on, hang on, hang on.
you know, it's, uh, I'm going to pray together real quick, but um, just what an amazing, like in a world that says, you know what, you got daddy issues, it's because your dad was not a good father, and so you have every right to be mad, right? Just take it out on them. And, and that's running rampant, actually, in our culture. And in, in our flesh that says, you know what, I, I don't have, there's no part of me that wants to do this. And then to go, evidence of being born again. It is no longer Robert, but Christ it lives in him. And the life he lives, he lives now by faith in the Son of God who loves him and died for him. And guys, that power that he reached out for and he said, hey guys, pray for me because I'm going to do something I never thought I would do. The, immediately was, but Christ in me has told me to do it. That's what it looks like to seek God's wisdom and to live out God's will. So let me pray for that. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the, uh, for the testimony of my brother, just the ongoing story that you're telling in his life. Lord, I pray that it would convict me and each of us here to, to seek out the, what are those things that you keep tweaking our hearts about, that your Holy Spirit keeps wrenching our hearts with, and we're like, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet, that we need to just get past that, look at the cross, see what love looks like, and move on in your will and find victory. Lord, I thank you for his willingness to be open, that he might um, just encourage us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. So, as we look at, well, let's go back to Daniel 2. I don't remember where I left you, but um, as we look at this, at, at what it looks like for us to have proclaimed his power, to say there's a God in heaven who can reveal these things. We need to do it through the context all the time of the, the only hope we have is what Paul talks about in Colossians. In Colossians he says that to you was given this mystery. And the mystery among the Gentiles is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Guys, if, if we're going out just doing wonderful things for people and loving things for people and forgiving people, but we're not pointing it back to God, specifically to Christ, we're not doing it for him. We're doing it for self-glorification. He has poured himself into you. He poured himself into Robert so that you can pour him out into other people. Guys, we are, we are to be conduits of grace. Too often we're like reservoirs. Right? Just give me more. You know, just pour your grace into me. Pour your forgiveness into me. But there's not a whole lot of outflow. What we see in even Daniel's life here in Daniel chapter 2 is that there is a ton of outflow as he and his friends kind of literally live on the edge. So, in whose wisdom do you rely really? We have two more points. The, last, this, the third one is that after we seek his presence and we proclaim his power, it is for the purpose of revealing God's plan. We have the best news in the world. God came here, lived, died, rose again, sent his spirit to change the world for him, to bring his kingdom here. And you look at what Daniel has to say in, in verse 31. He says, so now Daniel is actually going to tell him, okay, so here's what the dream was. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue that statue, which was as large and was, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. And here's what the statue looked like. The head was the statue of the hat, statue was made with fine gold. 
its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued, so he's, again, he's telling, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, here's what you dreamed. You continued in your dream, looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of, of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time because you can research all this on your own, but, but what ultimately happens is God gives Nebuchadnezzar a vision of the future. And he says, there are four kingdoms that I'm going to reveal to you. And the first one, if you look at the first kingdom in verses 36 through 38, is the kingdom of Babylon, his kingdom, this kingdom of gold, which is what we now think of as modern-day Iraq. And then he moves on, and there's, in, in verse 39, there's two kingdoms mentioned. He says one is referencing what is called the Medo-Persian Empire. So, so shortly after, we're going to see this in, in Daniel chapters 5 and 6, but the, the Persians, which is now modern-day Iran, rise up and take over Babylon. And they have a pretty short-lived kingdom before the Greeks take over most of that part of the world through Alexander the Great. So those are referenced in verse 39. Then in verses 40 through 43 is what is the Roman system of government, the representative republic that, oh, by the way, we're still living in today. Right? We are still in what is now considered a Roman, a, 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 a representative republic that came out of the Roman Empire, having a senate, they had an emperor, we have a president, it's that same idea. We're still living in those moments today. But ultimately, all of this dream is to, con is to convey a couple of things. It's not to lay out so we can figure out what the future holds. It's to say God is in control. He is the one who raises up kingdoms and kings and brings them down. And God is calling his shot throughout all of these saying, guys, I am the one in control here. You don't need to worry. Yes, the world is scary, but you don't need to be scared because you know what the outcome is. Ultimately, what we're living in right now, in, in this verses 40 through 43, is, the, is remember we talk, we've talked about this throughout this series, that, that what we're seeing in Revelation and Daniel is that there is kingdom conflict. Two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the world. And the world's kingdom is controlled by the enemy, Satan. Right? And, and Paul tells us in multiple places, including in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says that we do not war according to the flesh. Right? He's saying that our war is against the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. That's the battle. That's the battle we're in right now. And how he says it in 2 Corinthians, this, every time I read this, it just breaks my heart for the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, even if our gospel is veiled, so even if people don't understand what we're saying about the good news of Jesus Christ, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now get this in whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of God in Christ. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying Satan is darkening the minds of those who do not know Jesus. 
That's what we need to see. That's what Robert saw. He started viewing his father through that lens. Dad, it's not your fault. The enemy has darkened your eyes. And then the fourth kingdom that's described there is the one I want to spend the time on, and that's the divine kingdom of God. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, In those days, so the days of the fourth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all of those kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as they see a great, they, that you saw a stone which was cut out, out of a mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and the interpretation worthwhile. Who's the stone? Who's the stone that is, that is cut out of a mountain without hands and crushes the kingdoms of the world? Jesus. And we know that because Jesus himself tells us that, that I am the chief cornerstone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, right before, right before one of my favorite verses in 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, he says that, that God has created a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, the cornerstone that is Christ. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 if you're taking notes. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised that, that in this vision that Nebuchadnezzar gets, think about this, the statue, these three kingdoms at the top, along comes this fourth kingdom that smashes them all. We shouldn't be surprised that that's about Jesus and that it's all about kingdom conflict. Right? When Jesus comes on the scene publicly and he starts to announce his public ministry, do you remember what he says? His first public statement, repent and believe in the gospel because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That just means the kingdom of heaven is near you because I'm here. In fact, he goes on to say, and when you go out teaching, teach people. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then in an, in an amazing scene that we're not going to take time to, to look at, in chapter 13 of Matthew, in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus, it's a, it's a whole chapter, it's a long chapter, and it's all about the kingdom. And it talks specifically about the two aspects of the kingdom. One is his first coming when he inaugurated the kingdom. And he, and he describes the kingdom as like, he says, it's like the man who sows seed in the field. It's like the mustard seed that's small but grows. It's like the leaven that leavens everything. That is, that is present day kingdom building. He's saying the kingdom of God is current right now, build it up. And then in that same chapter, he transitions to future. He says, oh, by the way, also the kingdom is like the pearl of great price. That somebody stored, like they bought it because they knew it was, for, that's, that's looking at heaven. They knew it was better than anything they could ever have here on earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a field that somebody sold all that they had because they wanted to live for what really mattered. And he transitions to this idea that we get, that's where we're getting this, this idea of, already finished but not yet done because the kingdom is two parts. The kingdom is already finished. It has been inaugurated and it will be completed. 
but it's not yet completed. So we live in the space between the middle, which we need, in, or in the middle of those two moments, where what we need to be doing is what Jesus told us to. Build my kingdom here. That my kingdom would come on earth now as it is currently in heaven. Guys, do you get, I know we're running over, I don't care. Do you get, get this. We only talk about this at Christmas, which is such a bummer because it's such a great story. Do you remember who comes, kids, who comes to Mary to tell her she's going to have Jesus? Who? Gabriel. One of the three most powerful beings that were ever created. One of the archangels. And he comes to Mary and he says, greetings favored one. And she freaks out because he's a pretty powerful looking being. And he says, don't be afraid because you found favor with God and you're going to have a kid. And he's going to be the son of the Most High. And oh, by the way, he's going to reign on the throne of David. And he's going to reign forever and ever. And his kingdom is going to have no end. And he's so excited. And she's, you know, and she's like, whoa, back, let's back up something. I'm going to have a what? Right? And, and they have this whole dialogue. But, what, but here's the point. Why is Gabriel so excited? Because he knows that the, that the first coming of Christ is going to begin the process of redeeming back what was taken at the rebellion in the garden. He knows that this is the start of the end of kingdom conflict. He has been waiting eons to say, all right, God, when are we doing this? When are we doing this? When are we doing this? And finally, God's like, now! And he is pumped. Are we? Are you? Right? Are we as excited about the fact that, oh, by the way, his second coming. And we keep looking back at God going, when are you doing this? And we keep digging in here and people are, are prophesying that it's going to be on this year and that year and this day and that day and after this moon or that moon. And that, the bottom line is, what are we doing? Jesus told us what has to happen. The gospel has to go out to every nation in the world and then the end will come. He told us that 2,000 years ago. 2,000 thousand years ago. We just got to get busy. Hey, we just got to get busy living for him and his kingdom. So how, whose wisdom are we relying on really? Well, if we're living for his, we seek his presence, we proclaim his power, we reveal his plan, and the last thing, and I'm going to use this to go into our time of response, we acknowledge God's place. Look at Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 46. This is the most powerful man in the world. So you got to keep that in mind. It says, The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. To Daniel. That's not good. And gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. And the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. He gives Daniel's God a little credit, but he doesn't call him God yet. He will eventually. We'll see. But he is so full of self-worship. We're going to see that next week in spades. He is all about him. He's all about his will. His biggest thing here is just saying, man, thank you for answering the, my request to you. As the music team comes up, I want to stop and ask you, so is your wisdom, is the wisdom you're living yours? Is it the world's? 
or is it God's? How do you know? Like, how do we know? How do we know if we're living in God's will? Do you remember how I defined wisdom? Wisdom is knowing God's word, how to live it out, so that you can be in God's will. Are you living in God's will? That's the question, guys. Ultimately, that's the question of our lives. Are we living in the will of God? Right now, in this moment, when you leave here today, on Wednesday evening, whenever it is, are you living in the will of God? Moment by moment. Too often I hear this from people. When I say, so how are you doing? How's your soul? How's your time? They'll say, well, you know what? God is... Um, God has been telling me, fill in the blank. God's been showing me his will for me is this. Oh, really, how? Like, how, how's he done that? Well, I've just been praying about it, and, and I just really sense that that's what he's telling me to do. I hear that often by people that are leaving Cornerstone. Well, I've I just been praying about it, and we just feel like the Lord's telling us to go somewhere else. Okay, except that I know my own heart, and it's deceitfully wicked. And that's a scary place to be. Like if I, if I go by what I feel or sense, I'm doomed. That's my wisdom. Right? God's wisdom is found in the word of God and in the one another's. And so we need to spend our time there by the power of the Spirit revealing that. Absolutely, feelings are not horrible. But guys, if all we've got is I feel like this, we're Nebuchadnezzar, not Daniel. Daniel was Daniel because he was in God's word and he was with God's people, his friends. Nebuchadnezzar was Nebuchadnezzar because he's like, this, just, this, is, this is how I feel right now. So we need to be really careful that we're not going, I'm in God's will because this feels right. <gasps> Never, ever a good call. So are you living God's will for you? The ultimate answer to the question, guys, honestly, if you want to know how am I, am I living, here's the, here's the answer in a nutshell. Is your life bringing God glory? Is your life bringing God glory? Because he redeemed you to reveal himself. That's why he redeemed you. He saved you, if you're his, he saved you so that you could show off his son. Is your life doing that? If it is, guess what? You're in God's will. Because that's what he wants. He wants nothing more. And he'll take nothing less. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're not just a God or a Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty One. Lord, I thank you that your will is gonna be done and yet you leave us here to walk it out that we would bring the kingdom here as kingdom people for kingdom glory for your glory so Lord, i want to pray right now for my own heart i want to pray for the hearts of the people in this room i want to pray for us collectively as a church family lord that we would be about the business of bringing you glory because that's why we're here that's why you redeemed us Lord, I want to pray for those that don't know your Son as Savior. 
Lord, they can't possibly be in your will. Because the God of this world has darkened their mind. And so I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would compel Satan to hell where he belongs. Someday that will happen. Someday you will throw him in the lake of fire for all eternity. Until the day comes that we remember that our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. May we stand firm in our faith, not in our strength, but in yours. May we proclaim the beauty and the excellencies that are, that are you because you've called us out of the darkness that we might shine your light to the world. Lord, I pray that our lives would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.